great crowd and group that came out yesterday to decorate, and it looks really nice. Um, everything's all Christmassy, and um, some wanted to decorate, and some wanted to watch the, the soccer game, and so... <laughs> Uh, we had the soccer game going, U.S. against the Netherlands, and while they were decorating, it was kind of like putting stuff, you know, kind of watching the screen as they were putting stuff, so it worked out. Uh, we're in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. If you would, please turn in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 19. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 4. Four, verse 17, this is the word of the Lord. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Let's pray. Father, we come today seeking something that um, no preacher can give. No one can transform us to be the image of Christ, which is your will, except you by your word, and by your spirit. I pray now that um, your word would be explained clearly that your spirit would work in our lives, in our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our wills, so that we would become more like Christ and less like ourselves. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. According to the uh, Bible app uh, version, they've already decided what the this year's uh, most... Uh, popular verse is. Uh, I guess there is such a gap between the first and second place that they can go ahead and call which one is the most popular verse. And it's Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Uh, the, it's an interesting verse because it, uh, it deals with, um, with fear. So Isaiah chapter 41, this is the verse that has gotten uh, highlighted the most in their Bible app and has been shared the most uh, with, with anyone. It, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Uh, do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Out of all the verses that could be shared and highlighted and uh, passed from one person to another, uh, not a verse on a person's character, not a verse on person's uh, behavior or what they do, but rather uh, based on emotion, uh, how a person feels. And this is the verse that is uh, being shared the most, highlighted the most, uh, directed people to the most, that they, specifically the first part, do not fear, for I am with you. Uh, you would kind of have to know the context of Isaiah to know exactly who is with you, uh, but uh, do not fear, which is uh, looking at the emotions. Now, 
It's, it's interesting that this is what is being shared the most, what's being highlighted the most. Uh, we unfortunately have many, many believers who have just a sense of dread. They, they have no hope for the future. Uh, I was listening to some believers talk about uh, children, and they said it, it's really irresponsible for people to have children. There's just no hope. There's just absolutely no hope at all. Uh, so bringing more people into this world is really uh, child abuse. Many believers feel that they're in this dark room, not able to escape. They're dissatisfied with their life. They look for some type of meaning. They're looking for some type of experience, but they find none. Now, as we look at our passage today, we're going to be seeing a connection between a lifestyle of the person and their emotions. There's going to be a connection that Paul is making between how people act and how people feel. And uh, let me just go ahead and say from the beginning that sin is, is the problem. Uh, all pain that we see, all conflict, all, all negative situations that we see, at the heart of it, sin is the problem. Now, even though we are all sinners, that doesn't mean that um, all the consequences of sin are equal. For example, we can think of different categories of sin. Uh, we know that there's natural disasters. The world, uh, as, as Paul mentions, the world groans waiting to be uh, redeemed. And there's natural disasters. We see earthquakes, storms, um, all types of stuff that happens and people die and people uh, lose their homes, lose their properties, etc., etc. Uh, we also see that there are sins committed against you. And at least we could think about three different types of sins committed against you. For example, we could think about uh, negligence on, on part of somebody. So uh, here in, in, in Houston, a lot of the homes have, uh, newer homes have, the hot water heater up in the attic. And uh, because uh, 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 Framer, he was being really lazy that day, he didn't want to be there, he wanted to go home, and so he, he uh, because of his lack of his worth ethic, he, he, he just kind of put one nail in there, and then there you are living in the home, and you're just so wonderful, you think this is great, and, and all of a sudden the hot water heater comes flying through the ceiling, right? Boom, and it makes a huge... Uh, that wasn't uh, because you personally sinned or anything like that. Rather, it's the, the, the consequence of somebody who didn't have a correct worth ethic. So it's a negligence. Or we could see about spiritual warfare. Uh, so, in, in, like, for example, the, book of, the letter of Ephesians has a lot of spiritual warfare that goes on. In fact, uh, it, he presents a whole armor that you're supposed to put on. Uh, to, to combat this uh, principalities and so forth. Uh, now, when we think about spiritual warfare, many of us, are, our mind goes to the book of Job. And we think about how um, Satan is there in the throne room of God, and, and God presents Job to Satan, and, um, and then Satan goes and starts uh, dealing with him and bringing this type of um, persecution, pain into his life. Uh, what's interesting is uh, talking with individuals, <clears throat> many times uh, people will uh, very quickly identify themselves with, with Job, with Job. In other words, uh, that uh, the righteousness that Job has, 
uh, and the suffering that Job has, they are equal with that. I mean, it takes a special type of arrogance to kind of say that, that, that uh, just like God says, oh, have you behold Job, they're also look, God looks down at you and says, have you behold my servant? And yes, he, he did that to me, and I'm suffering this persecution because the Lord has done this. I, I have the same righteousness as Job. Uh, there's another type where it's uh, intentional sinful acts of people. Uh, let, let me take a, a frame, and I'm going to ignore other aspects of it, but let's take, for example, a father who is a drunk and beats his wife and, and, and son. And I, I'm ignoring other things that could be involved there. Like, for example, like uh, say the son is a... Um, a grown guy at 35 years old, and he's mocking the, uh, the, the drunkard uh, before he loses, et cetera. So I'm ignoring all other possibilities. I'm just looking at the scenario of, of a father that beats wife and, and child. Uh, are they suffering because of sin? Well, of course they are. It's not that they personally sinned, but the father's sin has an influence on them, a, a negative one. Uh, of, of hurt and pain, of distrust. It, it, it compounds over the years how this uh, will happen and the effects that it will happen. Now, there are those different categories of sin, but what Paul is addressing here is our own sinful desires. Our own sinful desires. So for a moment, I'm going to ignore pain and suffering that comes through natural disasters, and I'm going to also ignore pain and suffering that comes through uh, sinful acts against us, and I'm going to look specifically at our own sinful actions that bring about certain uh, emotions in us. So that's, that's the context. Uh, so don't, don't come afterwards, well, you know Job, or you know this, or this is the context that Paul is addressing. Now, as we look at this, in our own sinful desires, Paul presents kind of a, a two-way, uh, two, two paths. And it's not, uh, it's not just Paul that presents these two ways, but uh, he, he presents this ethic based on chapters 1, 2, and 3. So chapters 4, 5, and 6 presents a behavior, an ethic for how the believer is supposed to act, but it's based on chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, James also writes about this. He talks about how uh, there are two different ways to, to live. In James chapter 1, if we go over there uh, rather quickly, James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses um, 13. Uh, it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. For he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my uh, beloved brethren. Uh, so he presents two ways, two different forms. Uh, now thinking about this, uh, when we look at this, what I'm saying about sin is that it will have an effect on your emotions. It, it has an effect on, on, on how you'll be behaving. There's not the possibility of you to commit sin inwardly and say, 
I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to have these thoughts. I'm just going to have these desires. And, and it's not going to affect how I interact with one another. What we'll see is that it will have an effect on how we interact with one another. Now, the first part of chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 16, we saw that Paul urged them to walk worthy of the calling, and specifically, he's addressing unity in the church. Unity. He, 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 he says that there's this one God, this one faith. Uh, he, he brings into this unity. There's one purpose. This one purpose is to become Christ-like. There's a unity. Even though there's Jew, Gentile, even though there's a diversity of gifts, the purpose of all that is to bring into a unity. And, and walking worthy demonstrates itself in first place in a unity in the church. But now he's going to look at to walk worthy in holiness, personal holiness, uh, where one is going away from sin. So what we're going to be looking at today is to turn from sin so that we can have purpose, a clear mind, true life, and contentment. What we'll be looking at in these three verses is that we're to turn from sin so that we can have purpose, a clear mind, true life, and contentment. The first point, and it's the only point, is uh, stop walking like the unsaved. Stop walking like the unsaved. Paul begins this section with um, kind of a strong statement. He says, so this I say, which uh, he's not really saying, he's, he's writing, right? Uh, but, but it gives this notion that he is in the room present, telling them as if he's there. He's writing this. He's not there saying it, but he, he's, he's, he uses this word because it's a rhetorical use. It's as if he's there and saying it. This I say, and I affirm. That, that word affirm has this idea of to urge, uh, to, to make something of great importance, to affirm, to insist, to implore. He, he is imploring them uh, about something. And he, and he uses with the Lord. With the Lord. It's a title of authority. He, he could have used Jesus. He could have used Christ. But he uses Lord, which talks about that he is over everything. He, he is Lord. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, we, we want to have a certain position of authority. But here, that position of authority has already been taken. Uh, you, know, you go to a company and you're like, I want to, be, I want to become the boss. That, that, that position is already filled in the church. There is a, a boss. It, Christ the Lord, he is in charge. Now, um, as we think about this, it, it's based on the conjunction that it has at the beginning of verse 17, ties it in with how chapter 4, verse 1, uh, is also tied with chapters 1, 2, and 3, where we see that God has this plan. He, that plan involves being adopted, adopting to redeeming, and to sealing those who believe. So based on past action, and then based on who Christ is, he is affirming, he's imploring them uh, to do something, and he's doing it in the Lord. Now what is he telling them to do? That you walk no longer just as Gentiles, as the Gentiles. That you no longer walk. Walking has, uh, is used as a figurative speech, 
which is how one lives their life, how one goes through their life, how you carry on. It's used, for example, in Romans chapter 13, verse 13, and it's translated as behave. And it says, let us behave properly as in the day. He tells them, he uses the same word, and he uses it, and it's getting translated as how one behaves. Uh, it's used over in chapter 4 of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. It, it's how you're going to behave. And he's saying, I don't want you to walk. Don't, don't walk. Don't behave. And how are they behaving? Well, just as the Gentiles. Just as the Gentiles. Or even as the Gentiles are behaving as they walk. Uh, Paul wrote this to a church that's mostly Gentile. So it's a kind of an interesting thing that he would tell them, don't, um, don't walk as the Gentiles. It's like addressing a Texan and saying, don't, don't live like a Texan. It's like, uh, or, you know, if you're from another country, uh, don't be like that people from the other country. Uh, how, how do you address a group of people who are Gentiles and tell them not to be Gentiles? Well, the word Gentile can have the notion of being other than Jew, but it also has this idea of a, a group of people that, um, that have a common set of values. They have a culture and that culture gives them a sense of values, of priorities, uh, of things that they uh, have traditions, and, and so forth. So what Paul is establishing here is, is two diverse cultures. On one side, you have those away from God, and they have this certain culture, and he calls them the Gentiles. They have a certain set of priorities, a certain set of values. They have a certain set of art and traditions, and they, they prioritize certain things in their life, whereas... He's telling them, don't be like that, which implies there's another culture, another set of priorities, another set of values, another set of customs, and another forms of art, of expression, etc. He tells them, don't walk like that. Now, these Gentiles, they walk, and how is this walking? It says, in the futility of their mind. That word uh, futility has uh, the idea of a a state uh, without use, being in a state of without use or value. Emptiness, purposelessness, having no purpose at all. Uh, Paul says that those who are the Gentiles, those unsaved, they have no purpose. No purpose. Uh, it's a word that doesn't get used a whole lot in the New Testament. In fact, there's only two other times. Uh, once it gets used by Paul... Uh, in Romans chapter 20, verse, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, uh, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility. That, that's our word, futility. Not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope uh, that the creation itself also will set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The earth is set into a futility. Uh, an emptiness. Why? Well, year after year, it goes through seasons. But even though it gets renewed each season, what will ultimately happen to this world? <laughs> it's going to get burned away. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. 
So even though season after season, new crops grow, new things happen, it will eventually be for nothing because it will all get destroyed. And the world waits for that day of redemption. Peter uses it also in 2 Peter chapter 2. The context of 2 Peter chapter 2 is dealing with false prophets, false teachers. Uh, verse 1 talks about these false prophets and false teachers. And he starts addressing them and, and says how they are and, and how they conduct themselves and so forth. Uh, we see over in verse 17 of uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. These are springs without water and mess driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved for speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by fleshly desire, by sensuality, those who barely escape from those who live in error, promise, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Uh, there's what they do. They have vanity because they promise a certain freedom, but it's all emptiness. It doesn't lead to freedom. It only leads to slavery. Now, the word is used quite a bit in the Old Testament, some 54 times, if you look at the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. It's used in Psalm 52, verse 7, Behold the man who would, make, uh, who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. That evil desire is our word of futility. Uh, how can his evil desire compare with God? It's used in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities. That's our word. Can you imagine how uh, pointless it would be if we saw somebody out in the parking lot trying to capture the wind and, and, and hold it in their arms? I don't know, it would be the, the most absurd thing. We, we would probably go and just stare at the person as they're running around the parking lot trying to grab the air and sustain it in their arms. I mean, we'd probably post it on YouTube or something. Look at this guy. This is what he's saying. Vanity of vanities. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. says, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. That's our word that that uh, Paul is using. These people who walk as the Gentiles, or the unsaved, they walk in a futility, a purposelessness. There's no point to it. They're looking for a purpose, but it has no purpose. And what has this lack of purpose? It's in their mind, as they think. Well, maybe if I get this career, maybe the problem is my spouse, Maybe if I change churches. Maybe if I do this. And they're looking for some type of purpose. They're looking for some type of reason. And yet they have none. Now it keeps on over in verse uh, uh, 17, uh, 18. Now thinking just briefly about how the Gentiles are presented here, they have a lack of a value system. John Calvin comments on this verse that Christians by category are a lot better than the unsaved because Christians have a purpose. It, it, now, he doesn't make the correlation between these two verses, but Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are saved for good works. Ephesians 4, 13 through 16, that what we're supposed to be moving towards is the image of Christ. That's what we're being pushed toward. So as a believer, there is a purpose 
Unbelievers have no purpose. <laughs> they decide on themselves what their purpose is going to be, and it's always emptiness. Now, verse 18, we, we see here, and it's going to give this a little bit more description. It says, being darkened. They're being darkened in their mind. Their, their minds keep on, as they live like this, it keeps on getting darker and darker. Uh, they can't think properly. You, you imagine trying to drive on, on an old mountain road with, with no headlights. It, 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 you, you would have to go very, very slow. And you would be tense the whole time. You can't see ahead. It would be extremely dangerous. This is what's happening to these individuals. As they walk as Gentiles, they are being darkened in their understanding. They can't understand things. They just start reacting to stuff. They can't see ahead. They can't look down the road. They have no direction. They just react to life as it happens. Now there's these uh, two, uh, it says, excluded from the life of God. Excluded. So they are being darkened and they are excluded from the life of God. Now what does it mean to be excluded from the life of God? People take this in two different ways. One takes it that it means they have no eternal life. God is the giver of eternal life. Uh, John chapter 11, remember that they're uh, there and uh, Lazarus has passed away. And uh, Martha and Mary are upset and Jesus comes and he tells them that he is the resurrection and the life. Without, without God, there is no life. So some say this is eternal life. Some say this means quality of life that a person without God has no quality of life. Uh, it doesn't have to be an either-or. Bo both are true. Uh, both are true that with God you have eternal life, and with God you have quality of life. You have a purpose and a plan. And what does this cause? It causes them to be estranged from them, alienated, separated from this. They're not there close to this life of God. They're a separate. Now, this is based on, on, on two prepositional phrases that we see back to back here. And the first prepositional phrase is dependent on the second one. The first is, uh, because of the ignorance that is in them. The ignorance. Their problem is not based on a provision. Provision has been made. Provision for them to not walk in this manner has been made. Christ died for the sins, and he died for the sins of the whole world. Provision has been made. What is lacking on their part is information. They're ignorant. They, they don't know. They've made themselves ignorant. They lack specific information, and this lack of information has them with a lack of discernment. Their problem is ignorance. But this is dependent on the second prepositional phrase which is because of the hardness of their heart. Oh, now we get down to it. The hardness of their heart. Is it a problem that they have a hardened heart? Is it, is it, is it, I mean, what's the big deal? Well, what's the big deal having a hardened heart? Well, Jesus makes the comment over in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 He's talking and directing to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 12, 
in verse uh, 33. Uh, 33 and 34. Sorry, Matthew chapter 12, 33. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Uh, what type of uh, fruit will a tree produce? Well, it's dependent on what, whatever type of root it has. Whatever root it has, that's the type of fruit. You're not going to you're not going to plant a, a, a coconut tree and hope to get apples. The root determines what it's going to be. Whatever's at the heart of it. Look what 34, you brought of vipers. You, uh, how can you, being evil, speak of uh, what is good? For the mouth speaks out of which fills the heart. Whatever's in the heart is going to come out. Whatever's inside of you, whatever you're meditating, whatever you're desiring is what's going to come out. Uh, Jesus says that the heart is very important. And the problem that we come back here is that having two choices, having one, a desire to, to know God and to please God, to obey God, and one, a, a desire to go against that and to go after what they, own, what they want, to please themselves. They've chosen to harden their heart towards God and to go after God uh, themselves. Now, Looking at this, we can reverse the order of this. Why do they walk like Gentiles walk? Because they've hardened their heart, which causes an ignorance, which causes them to be estranged and darkened, which leads to a purposeless mind, which makes them walk as Gentiles walk. It all comes from their heart. Whatever they're des desiring. Why do we do what we do? Because we want what we want. And because we want what we want, we do what we do. Now, how does this play out? Well, verse 19 shows how this is going to play out. It says, and they have become calloused. Calloused has uh, this idea of a lack of feeling. I, I play the guitar, and at first when I started playing the guitar, I was pressing the strings, and boy, they hurt. Oh, I thought they were going to start bleeding because those lines were going through and it, it just hurt. <coughs> but little by little, I started developing a callus and uh, there's a lack of sensibility in these fingers from where I'm pressing the strings as opposed to these fingers. And, and it does have that this word callus, lack of feeling. But it also has this idea of a, a heavy sense of loss. To become despondent, to, to become numb to life, no feeling, depressed. What does this walking as the Gentiles lead to? Well, in the futility of their mind, in the purposelessness, they feel dead. There's no reason to live. They become despondent to everything. Now, thinking about this, uh, that's the condition that they're in. Now, you can try to medicate this thing. You can try to go and get some happy pills and, and try and try to feel better. But at the root of this issue here is a hardened heart towards God. So unless those happy pills make you have a soft heart towards God, they're not going to do it. They'll, they'll make you feel something. But the problem here is that they have a hardened heart. Now, what do they do with this hardened heart? 
have given themselves over to sensuality. They give themselves over. The word there that is being translated as sensuality has really this idea of, uh, of no holdbacks. No holdbacks at all. They want to experience something. They want to feel something. And they'll try anything just to have some type of excitement, some type of something going on in their life. And they give themselves over. They, they, they take away all breaks. Whatever will give me some type of feeling. Because their hearts are hardened. And what do they do? Well, with the practice of every kind of impurity, with greediness. They practice all types of impurity and with greediness. Uh, greediness has this, uh, this idea of um, a state or desire where you want something uh, that you believe that something is due to you. It, it, you believe that something, you deserve something. You see what your neighbor has and you say, I I deserve that. Uh, Paul mentions in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So Paul puts uh, greed with evil desires, passions, impurity, immorality. And he calls these things as idolatry. Why is greed idolatry? Well, the person looks at what their neighbor has or looks at what the person across the pew has, and they say, I, I deserve that. It's not right that Chris Cashin has all that hair on his head. You, you can't be a saved man with that much hair. I deserve that. And yet, I don't have that. And what I'm saying in that is that I'm elevating myself to the point of God and saying, this is how it should have been. And you have failed. That's the problem with greed, is that we exalt ourselves to the point of God. And we become the judge of what we deserve and what we should have in our life. And it becomes idolatry because we're worshiping ourselves and our own opinion. Now, this greediness says, I'm not going to be content with what God has given me. It's not enough. I know what is best for me, and you have not given it to me. Greediness in a church is nasty, especially if it's around power. Oh, if it's around power, I deserve that. I, I deserve this. And it becomes, it, it goes against what verses 1 through 16, the walk worthy in unity. It, it will destroy it if the person is, is not content. Now, let's apply these, these three verses uh, to our lives. The, the first point of application is that Christ has authority to tell us how to live differently. Christ has the authority. Uh, Paul urges the believers in the Lord not to walk a certain way, not to walk as the Gentiles, which he is, he is implying that these group of believers, even though that they are saved, even though they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are making decisions that are not in accordance with the faith that they have. 
They're walking away. They're carnal. You can call them carnal. You can call them babes in Christ. You can call them whatever you want to call them. But they are walking as Gentiles walk, as unsaved people. Even though they have been adopted by the Father, even though they have been redeemed by Christ, even though they have been sealed by the Spirit, they are acting in this way. And it's sad when believers act this way. Uh, Think about when a believer acts this way. They look at their job situation and they really start demanding for a different job because their job is just too demanding. It's just too demanding. And they want more time off. Well, why, why do you want more time off, you ask them? Are, are you planning on volunteering more at the church? Are you going to start feeding uh, the orphans and serving the, the widows? Uh, do you plan on, on, on helping in more mission trips? Why do you want all this more time off? And what's their answer? <laughs> They're not going to give one more minute to the church or to God. Uh, I need this for myself to re- rejuvenate, to, to fill up my batteries. I, I need this time off. Or how about the person that says they need more money? They need a pay increase. <laughs> Are you... Are you wanting the extra money so you can get some more Christmas shoe boxes this year? Is that what you're hoping for? You're going to be able to to tithe more? They're not going to tithe more. They've been tithing off the amount of their allowance when they were 10 years old. Like, that's the same amount even though a bunch of years have gone by. Their, Their amount hasn't changed at all. They look at an increase in pay for themselves and what they can buy, thinking that if they have one more cup, then they'll be happy. We have houses full of stuff. Some people even have storage places packed full of stuff, and they think, if I buy this cup, I'll be happy. I know I will be. And if I buy the set, I'll be even happier. Oh, look at this sweater. If I could only have this sweater, I'll be content. But it's futility because they're never content. Or how about kids? is a desire to have your kids around you so that you can disciple them so they become more Christ-like. So just as Christ obeyed the Father, your kids will obey God the Father and go wherever he sends them? Or is your purpose to have your kids around you for your own personal pleasure? Just for the contentment of your own heart? Well, it's a shame when Christians start acting exactly as the unsaved. When Paul urges them, walk differently. You have a different set of values. You have a different set of priorities. It's given by the Lord. We're to walk differently. Now, when we think about this, we also think about culturally, there should be a difference between the saved and unsaved. A culture involves how we behave, rules, customs, beliefs, And it shouldn't be that our culture mimics the world's culture. We should have a different culture. It should be radically different because we get it from the Lord. We search the scriptures in our desire, our heart, instead of hardening to God, we desire to know him and to obey him. And so therefore it makes us radically different from everybody else around us person who hardens their heart is just going to be darkened. They'll walk in futility. They'll look for some type of experience, 
Something that will give them meaning. They're going to give back, whatever that means. Who knows what giving back means? But they're going to give back to try to find some type of purpose. And it doesn't, it leaves them tired and without anything. So they're going to rack up experiences. And still the experiences just leave them tired and empty. We need to stop walking as the unsaved walk. Now as we think about this, the one point that we've had is to turn from sin so that you can have purpose, a clear mind, true life, and contentment. Paul was writing to these believers, and first he tells them to walk worthy in unity, but now he's going to be addressing the, the theme of walking worthy in holiness. You can't walk worthy in unity and holiness if you're not saved. Right, you can play the part and you can say certain words, but your heart is not beating, it's not softened to the Lord. And so what you'll do is continue to withdraw and cause division. And, and, and furthermore, you won't have a holy lifestyle. I mean, you'll, you'll put it on here, you'll get all dressed up, get your hair combed, etc. And it'll look nice here. But it's outside of here that there won't be any holiness. And if that's your case, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Today can be the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today you can believe that his death was for you as a substitute to redeem you from your sins, to give you new life. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. For other of us who are believers here, maybe we haven't looked at the connection between our heart's desire and our actions. We highlight the verse, do not fear for I am with you because we have to be reminded because our heart isn't longing for him. We're out of touch with the Lord. We're calloused. We're depressed. We're looking for something and we don't know where to look. It starts with turning your heart towards the Lord, to desiring him, to wanting to obey him to getting close to him. It starts in your heart. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we examine our heart, if we have hardened our hearts towards you, I pray, Father, that you will soften our hearts. Father, I pray if there's someone here that's not saved, that today can be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would, please stand with me.